Good morning, White Oak, and uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm the Coleraine pastor. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here at Coleraine. How's that? And uh, yeah, this was an awesome week. Uh, this was my family's uh, first opportunity to be a part of summer Bible camp, and uh, we had a great time. Uh, I was helping out with my son Jack's uh, kind of track, and we were doing basketball. And uh, man, I, I'll tell you though, uh, at the end, you know, five days uh, every morning being here and volunteering and stuff, we get home at the end of the day, and we were just wiped. We were so exhausted, but uh, it was it was a good kind of exhaustion. We had a uh, we had an absolute blast helping out, and it was so awesome to see church come together and uh, and serve, and just how many kids we were able to. Uh, to impact, and man, we love the theme and going through it every day. And so, uh, if you were a part of it, thank you. If you brought your kids, I uh, hope that they had a great time too. Um, but uh, we're excited that everybody is here today, and uh, that we can jump in and continue on in this series that we started last week, talking about four. And uh, so last week, Rick kind of kicked it off, and we talked about the idea that we are for our community, that we are for Coleraine uh, over at Ross. Uh, Nathan talked about the idea that they are for Ross, and just this bigger idea that we are for the greater Cincinnati area, that, uh, that we want to be for it. And one of the real, uh, kind of the, the main idea that Rick shared with us last week, and I just want to remind you of it, he said this, um, he said, for far too long, the church has been known for what we're against. And we should be known for what we are for. Amen. Right? That uh, for to- far too long, we, we are, our identity is forged in this idea of what we stand against. And, uh, and we haven't been talking enough about what we stand for. And this word for, what are we talking about when we say that? Well, well the big idea here is that things that we're in favor of, right? Uh, things that we're not against. Things that we are supportive of. Things that we are pro, right? And uh, things that, uh, that maybe we are on somebody's side for. We want to talk about the things that we are for. And uh, as we kind of kick off this initiative, some of the things that, that Rick talked about as we talk about White Oak as a whole that we want to really be about uh, are, and I'm going to list them out, he talked about that we want to create compassion in people, that we want to create common ground, we want to figure out what we have that is alike uh, with our community. We, we want to create conversations everywhere that we go, and we want to create connections. And that really kind of paints a picture for what this whole series is about. Uh, we're in a culture that is saturated with what we stand against. And here at White Oak, we want to take back this idea that we are for our communities, the communities where we're present specifically. And uh, we want you to know more than anything, I, I don't usually like to preach this way as far as that I kind of unveil everything right at the beginning. But, uh, but this week is a little bit different. And so if you miss everything that I say, if you, if you walk out of here and you're not really sure uh, what the message was about, uh, I want you to drill in on this one idea, okay? Uh, and we're just going to lay it out right from the beginning. Uh, more than anything today, we want you to know that we as a church are for you. Okay, uh, you as an individual, you as a person, that you matter. Uh, here at White Oak, we stand for you. We are in favor of you. We are not against you. Uh, we are on the side of people, uh, specifically individuals. And this is why, all right? This, this, is, uh, this is the bottom line. Oh, we are for you because at the end of the day, we believe more than anything that God is for you. Right, right. It is the it is the gospel message. It is the, it is really truly the uh, 
the, the outline of everything that we find in the Bible. It's the culmination of, of everything that the Bible kind of teaches. That God is for you. That God wants you more than anything to be in a relationship with him. And he proved that by what he did with his son. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. Right? God doesn't want you to simply exist. He wants you to have a full life. He created you to experience life in an exciting and thrilling way. I'll tell you, when this building was packed full of kids each and every day, one of the words that came to mind as we were going through everything that we were doing was just the idea of fun. Our people, our kids were experiencing fun. Whether we were in our basketball track or we were down in our, um, in our Bible story time or whether we were doing snack or whatever, man, kids were just having a blast. They were having fun. You could tell by the smiles on their faces. In a little bit, you're going to get to see a recap video and I think it's going to be able to be evident in there. We love to have fun. God created us to enjoy life. You ever wonder why you just enjoy certain things? I love going out to a nice restaurant or you love a beautiful spring day. Oh, we were created and designed to experience life in a way that is full of joy. God is for you. All right? And so we, we, have to, we have to kind of embrace that, right? We have to, we have to believe that, right? But we have a hard time sometimes. We have a hard time. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, but I know, I can be honest, that it's happened to me that there are days, there are moments, there are situations, there are circumstances where you're left asking yourself, man, is God out to get me? Is God against me? Man, it, it can happen in, in the easiest ways. Right? You, you can be traveling to work and you get a flat tire and you're running late for something and you're just like, ugh. Man, what is going on? It can happen in some real hard ways too. Your marriage is failing. You're, you're, you're experiencing struggles in your relationships with your kids or your parents, whatever it may be. There's the pains of addiction that are going on, whether it's you or somebody that you're connected to. And there's some real things that happen. It could be debt. It can be anything. And we just feel like maybe we can't get ahead Maybe, maybe life is just not going the way that we envisioned it. And so we begin to believe this lie that God is against us. Because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Because, because of the, the way that we feel like maybe they say, because of the hand you've been dealt. And we begin to believe that, that God stands against us. If you've ever felt that way, I'll tell you though, you're not alone. Uh, we all go through moments where, where we have some doubt. We all go through moments where we kind of struggle with that. And, and even some, if you look through the history of the Bible, there's some people that we would just kind of consider to be spiritual giants. There, there are people that, that the books in the Bible are written about. And we see these people and we're like, man, I want to have a faith like they do. But these individuals... No matter how much we read and we see how God blessed them or we see how, you know, it's evident to us that God was for them, there's a lot of individuals that we find in the Bible who even in the midst of that doubted and felt, felt like that maybe they didn't trust that God was for them. Abraham is the father of God's chosen people. He was given a promise that God was going to uh, give him descendants and that he was going to be the father of this great nation. 
problem was is that Abraham didn't have any children. And so one moment in Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 12, uh, when he was still known as Abram, the Bible says this, it says, Abram said to his wife, Sari, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can take her. So please tell them that you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest for you. The first sign of opposition or fear to this promise that God gave Abraham, then Abram, he's willing to lie about the identity of his wife because of fear, because he's afraid. See, God had given him a promise, but Abram didn't trust in that promise. And so Abram took things into his own hands and says, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to tell everybody that you're my sister because I'm afraid that uh, if they know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and they're going to take you. But if you're my sister, well, maybe they'll feel like that we can kind of negotiate. And, and so it's just this crazy story. It's like, who would do that? What well, comes out of fear? Abraham didn't trust in the promise that God had given him. He didn't believe that God was truly for him. Moses was recruited by God to lead the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. And once they find, found themselves in, on, uh, on this uh, journey, right, God gets them out of Egypt and they're, and they're traveling along. The people are thirsty and they come up and they're complaining to Moses about it. And so in Numbers chapter 20, it's recorded this. The Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. God says, trust me, I'm in favor of you. Here's what I need you to do. But Moses didn't, didn't buy into all that. And he was a little bit frustrated with his people. So in verse 12, it's recorded this, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, of Israel, you will not get to lead the people into the promised land. What Moses did was he walked over to the rock, just like God told him, but he took his staff and he smacked the rock to get the water out. What did God told him to do? He said, speak to it. But Moses tried to assert his own power, his own authority, and, and really kind of maybe feel like that he was doing something there. And what was his punishment? Right, he leads this group of people out of slavery. He leads them through the desert for 40 years, all in this search to get to this promised land. And now Moses was not going to be able to be the person that took them across into this new land because he didn't trust in God, because he didn't believe in the promise that God had given him. He didn't believe that God was for him 100%. David, Israel's greatest king, Right, He's faithful, he's trusting, he's the guy that takes down Goliath. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 records this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. A couple things stand out here. This is a time where kings normally go to war, but David, instead of going himself, he sends Joab to go out and fight on his behalf, and he is left behind. Anybody know what happens when David sends those guys out to war and he stays back at the palace? He happens to see a young lady bathing on a rooftop, Bathsheba, and the rest of his life is changed because of that moment. 
because he didn't trust in God. He didn't fully submit. He didn't believe that God was truly for him. He wanted to take things into his own hands, right? Uh, this is a guy that, that, that we sing songs about. This is a guy that, that stands up and, and we see him as being uh, full of honor and integrity. But there was a moment in his life where he doubted, where he wasn't perfect. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, he, he often misunderstood exactly what Jesus' mission here on earth was. And so when Jesus finds himself in the garden towards the end of his life, in John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, it records this, Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into a sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter couldn't trust in Jesus' plan. Peter didn't believe that, that Jesus knew what he was doing. He, he was trying to protect Jesus. And so the point is this. The, some, of the most, uh, some of the most heroic people that we read about in the Bible, some of the peace, people that we believe you know, I mean, had it all together, sometimes they struggled to believe that God was for them. But here, here's the truth. God gives us an evidence of his faithfulness. God paints a picture for us that he is on our side. God sent Jesus to prove that he is for you. Jesus shows up to tell us just how much God loves us. I think it's appropriate that here on summer Bible camp Sunday that, uh, that we take a look at a passage of scripture that many of us, myself included, probably learned for the very first time maybe at a kid's vacation Bible school. Right? Uh, John chapter 3 verse 16 paints this beautiful picture, Jesus' words describing himself, where he says this, for this is how God loved the world. Right? This is, uh, this is what this does. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he was willing to give his one and only son, right? This is this picture of how God is for us. That he is willing to sacrifice the life of his son. He's willing to put his son on the cross so that we might know that God stands for us. And it's this, uh, it's this promise of eternal life. But I want you to get this. That this promise has so much more than just our future in mind. It has the here and now. According to Jesus, he didn't come just so that one day in the future we might be able to join him in heaven. Jesus' kingdom, he preached, is coming right now. So there are real benefits in being a follower of Jesus. It happens in our life right here and right now. Right, right that, that there is a power that comes upon us through the Holy Spirit, that there is a gift that comes into our life, that there is a benefit to being a Jesus follower for you and for me right here and right now, where we get to experience that God is truly for us. Following Jesus actually gives us an advantage in how we experience life, right? Why? Because Jesus came to confront all the things that wants to steal away our joy. Right? Jesus even says, he says, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come to give you life. Jesus comes that we might be able to experience life both through him and through relationships and through everything else. 
In John chapter 3, it continues on with verse 17 and 18. It says this, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. You hear that? God didn't send Jesus into the world to judge the world. God sent Jesus into the world to save the world. I don't know that there could be any clearer picture of this idea that God is for you than that. And here at White Oak, we're for people, we're for you, simply because we believe that God is for you. Jesus proves once and for all that God is for you. And God has surrounded you with people who are for you. That's the beauty of the church. You know, the church is not this building And the church is not a location, and church is not an event that you schedule on your calendar and you show up to. The church is people. And in my life, personally, as I think back over the 43 years that I've been on this planet, everything that I have in my life, every good thing that is about me, I've experienced because of the church. That's the truth. I know my wife because of church. I have my career because of church. Some of my closest relationships that I have in this world are because of the church. I owe everything to the church. And when I say that, I don't mean a location. And I don't mean a brick and mortar building. I mean people. People who have invested in me. People who saw something in me. People who have loved me even when I make mistakes. People who have forgiven me. The church has raised me. The church has gotten me to where I am right now. The church has given me a purpose all because of the love of a God who established it. And so many of us, so many of us miss out on the joy and the life-giving purpose that a church can have in somebody's life because we've given up on institutions because we've given up on what the church has to offer, because we've bought into a lie that the church is a place, or the church is a scheduled event, and we've forgotten about the fact that the church is a people and a relationship. And so one of the ways that God can demonstrate that he is for you is through the relationships that we have in our life. But when we cut ourselves off from those, when we stand apart from those, it's really easy to find yourself maybe doubting that God is for you. And so one of the ways is that we surround ourselves with people who are also for us. All right, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were doing this relationship, uh, when we were talking about our relationships with one another, and we were talking about friendship, right? Sometimes we just have to examine and see who is it that we are hanging around. Are we hanging around people who, I, who you know, without a shadow of a doubt, are for you? God created you also to be for other people. It's this beautiful circle, right? That that God's for you. Here at White Oak, we want to be for you. We want to surround ourselves with people who are for us. And because of that love that we're given, we want to be for other people. We want to reciprocate that. We want other people to know that God is for them. It's this, uh, it's this thing. And so I want you to do me a favor. If you've got, uh, if you've got your program or you've got something to write with, maybe you could, you could do it on your phone possibly. But, uh, but I want you to interact with me just for a second. And, uh, and so what I want you to do is on your, uh, on your program or on whatever you're going to write on, I want you to create a tic-tac-toe board. You know what a tic-tac-toe board looks like? Uh, there's one up on the screen if you need some help. Uh, and so on mine, I've got my name right in the middle. And so there's this, there's this conversation that comes about when we talk about loving other people. Jesus gives a very clear command about that we are supposed to love our neighbors. 
And there's this deep philosophical conversation that happens anytime we talk about loving neighbors where the question comes back, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked this very question and he goes into this detailed story, right, about the Good Samaritan. I just want to challenge you. Uh, that, uh, that while we're called to love people and we're called to love all kinds of different people that we come in contact with, sometimes our neighbors are actually our neighbors. All right? and, and sometimes we're called to love the people who actually live around us. And so what, what I want you to think about in this, uh, this tic-tac-toe board all right, is who are the people who actually live in front of you beside you, to your left and your right, maybe across the street from you, uh, behind you? Can you name the people who this would represent? If that was my house, right? Imagine that being my house. Who lives on one side of me? Who lives on the other side? Who lives across the street from me? Who lives on catty corner to me either way? Who lives back behind me? Do you know who those people are? When's the last time you had a meaningful conversation with one of the people who were really your neighbors. In a day and age of garage door openers and privacy fences, when's the last time you invested intentionally in somebody who lives in that grid for you? We are called to be for other people. And one of the places that God has planted us, one of the reasons that White Oak is for Colerain and for Ross is because that's where we're planted. God has planted you somewhere, Right? Maybe you live in an apartment. Maybe you uh, don't have anybody that lives around you. But I just wonder, can you figure out, do you know who lives there? Can you name them? When's the last time that you shared with them a meal? When's the last time you invited them to come to something or reached out to their kids and, and invited them to come to something like summer Bible camp? We need to begin to take serious this idea that God has created us to be for other people and figure out how we begin to do that, how we begin to live that out. If you're going to be serving communion today, I want you to go ahead and go back to the back as we uh, get ready for the, uh, the end of our service, but uh, if you could make your way back there. We want you to know that White Oak is for you because we believe that the evidence is overwhelming that God is for you. And what God stands for, we stand for. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31, says this. says, What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Did you hear that? Paul, Paul writes this beautiful excerpt. He says, what should we say about all of this? As he's, as he's writing in the book of Romans, he says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Not our sin, not our doubt, not our debt, not our past. Nothing can stand against us if truly God stands for us. And I believe that he does. Amen. And I believe that he proved it by sending his son to the cross. Jesus came to take back our lives. He came to claim it all back. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with God. And this is what he says in conclusion of that. He says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
won't he also give us everything else? What should we say then, he says? If God is truly for us, what could ever stand against us? Today, I want you to know more than anything that God is for you. And he's on your side. He is cheering for you and rooting for you. He wants, more than, he wants nothing more than for you to succeed and for you to have a life. And he's laid out this, this kind of picture through Scripture of what we're supposed to look like, what our, what our interactions are supposed to look like. And they could really be boiled down to this simple, simple idea that he wants us to love him with all of our heart, right? Love God, and that he wants us to love other people. And he just wants us to make a difference in this world. God is for you. And if you've never experienced that, if you've never claimed that, if you've come here today, maybe you're, you're here visiting with us, or maybe you've been here for a while, but you've just never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to know that he is for you. And that you could claim him to be your Lord and Savior. Man, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. You could grab that connection card that's in your program. You could mark a next steps. And we would love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Because God is for you. And we're for you. Because we believe that's what God would want. Would you pray with me? Dearly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here today, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who demonstrates more than anything how much you love us, how much you are for us by sending him to the cross, God. We are thankful for the salvation that comes through that. We're thankful for the hope that comes through that. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.